Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Happy New Year's Eve. Happy New Year's Eve to you. How are your holidays going? Um, busy. You know, too busy. Not enough food to eat, not enough booze to drink. You sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's yours going? Pretty good. I got lots of cool presents for Christmas. Okay. Cool. You got a few cool, cool things too? Sure, I guess. Yeah, yeah, always nice to get some nice new stuff at Christmas. Sure. Of course, that means it's time to tidy up and get rid of some of the old stuff and make right. room for some of the fun new stuff. Prepare for the new year. That's what I've been doing tonight, getting oh. myself all organized. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've been cleaning out our podcast vault as oh, well. Really? Is there something in there? There was. It was a little dusty. Okay. Um, so I kind of had to blow the dust off of it, kind of scrape away some rust. Yeah. But last summer... Um, Cobwebs and all June, that. maybe? I don't even remember exactly sure. when, we, when yep. we did it. Okay. Do you remember? Do you remember I do have happened? a vague recollection of something going on there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, our buddies from the History of Ancient Greece podcast, Ryan uh -huh. Stitt, and the Trojan War podcast, Jeff Wright, came right. down and we all went to the theater. We did. We went to Saw Mythos. With Stephen Fry when I was in Niagara on the Lake. That's right. We at the Toronto Festival. Visited a few wineries, too. That might impact old memory. That's right. Now I remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So we recorded a great epic uh, crossover podcast episode. Conversation. Oh, how can I forget? Well, we almost did. Oh. <laughs> conversation about the uh, about the performance, and I've got that all ready to go for our for our listeners. You think we should give them a little New Year's Eve treat? Yeah, I think it would be good in the grand tradition of you know cleaning up and organizing, getting it out, you know, getting it done. Yeah. You know. So I think we uh, had a little trouble with some of the audio. Yeah. But uh, our audience will forgive us. If our audience isn't used to it by now, no, I mean, really. Nobody listens anyway. It's all good. Yeah. We do right. this for our own satisfaction. Of course. Yeah, you know. All right. So we're going to put it together and send it out to you. All right. Let's hit the, hit the opening music. Hit it. Good afternoon. Good evening. Uh, something. Again, so long. Thanks for the memories. I forget what the tail end is. It has been a while since we've done an episode. Yeah. But <laughs> welcome to Myth Take. Till we meet again. Fresh Take on Ancient Myth. Yes. Yeah. And I'm Allison. And I'm Darren. And we are your co-hosts, mm -hmm. in case you have forgotten us. And we have a very special celebrity episode for you today. And we have two podcasting hosts with us. Hi, I'm Jeff. And I'm Ryan. And do you guys want to introduce your podcast a little bit to our audience, just in case they haven't heard about it? I want to keep them in suspense. No. <laughs> uh, Ryan from the History of Ancient Greece podcast. And I'm Jeff from Trojan War, the podcast. And what brings you guys to town? Partaking in the loveliness that is Southern Ontario and checking out uh, Stephen Fry's Mythos Plays at the Shaw Festival. And, and of course, hanging out with two very cool podcasters. Yeah, well, you're we're welcome. Very glad that you had time to hang out with us. Make today. that three. You forgot about me. <laughs> oh, sorry, Ryan. Yeah, no, two cool and one exceptionally cool. Okay. Like Careful. <laughs> okay, on to the content, Allison. Yes. So we have just come from watching one of the three plays that make up this trilogy. We watched the Men episode of Stephen Fry's uh, trilogy, and. As podcasters and geeks, we have lots and lots to say about it. Mm. So we're just going to 
have a conversation about it. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the play and want to be surprised, wait and listen to this afterwards. Troy doesn't burn. (laughs) Odysseus never makes it home. There is no horse. (laughs) There was no Homer. Wait, oh, that's true. Okay. So I thought maybe to start, we'll just go around, uh, starting with our our guests, and uh, maybe each just share some of what we felt were highlights or lowlights, if there were, of the experience of the play. Sure. Okay, I'll start with context, uh, since these are my favorite stories and I'm a bit of a storyteller. What Fry tries to do, if you haven't seen the show, which is really kind of amazing, is he's got two hours of performance time with a 15-minute interval in the minute between the two sets. And what he tries to do is do the entire sweeping story arc of the Trojan War epic. So all the pre-story, the Judgment of Paris, the beauty contest, everything like that, fly all the way through the Iliad, come out the other end with a wooden horse, and then you go off for your 15-minute break. You buy the $18 overpriced Shaw Festival wine. You come back, and then he launches into an hour, and he gets the Odyssey down to an hour, and he gets Odysseus safely back home into Penelope's arms. The curtains rise, and it's all over. So it's quite an undertaking. I really liked how he weaved everything together, from how he started out with uh, the Nausicaa, the Thakian... um, storyline and Odysseus with a, a ball naked on the beach uh, and then the humor just started it just started oozing from there uh, you could tell it was just going to be a funny performance and then how he just uh, then he backtracked and became uh, the narrator of the play and just started built, putting the building blocks down for the entire Trojan War saga and then you eventually got back to Nausicaa uh, and then you know to the end of the Odyssey play and mm-hmm. so forth so I really liked how uh, he went about it uh, systematically. Um, of course, there are things that he skipped. There are things that he elaborated on for artistic reasons. But in two hours, like Jeff said, uh, I, I'm pleased with what I saw. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm in agreement with everybody here. <clears throat> I, like the, I like the ring composition, like you guys said, and the way that, you know, that there's elaboration in the myths. And it was all very entertaining. He's a really good speaker. He's charismatic. The stories are all things that we're drawn to. Um, and I think all in all, it was a really good performance. I don't know if I would use the word play to describe what it was. This is more of a one-man performance. But but it does take on the roles of characters. It does use certain voices and uh, mannerisms. And so there, it's it's alive. It's not just like a lecture. It's a it's a storytelling performance is what I would say it would be. like Almost like a world poetic kind of performance in a way. For me, it felt really authentic. Mm-hmm. I think that's the word that I've been looking for. Um, because he draws the audience in and the audience is involved in making decisions about what elements of the story he's going to tell. And then there are a couple of breaks where he pauses at a logical breaking point in the story and gives the audience the chance to um, have him elaborate on some aspect of either his own connection with myth or how the myth comes to us in writing and oral tradition or um, I forget what the other one was that he talked about but there's there's a couple of different themes that the audience has to choose from history yes Mm -hmm. history and the idea of history and story Um, and then choosing as well which elements of Odysseus's story we're, we're going to hear and I feel sometimes with with plays like it's something that happens on the stage and you watch and that's kind of what I had been expecting but no this was something where the audience became a part of it and it made me think of 
the bar sitting in the court of the Phoenicians telling mm-hmm. the story, right? And how and how the audience becomes part of it. Sure. So I, I really appreciated that aspect of the, of the play. One of the things that he does, though, that I've been in productions of telling this story on stage where they use very contemporary language. And so they're not trying to uh, capture the words or the diction or the phrasing of Homer, but but it's very much, uh, it's it's a performance by a storyteller. And Fry, the moment he gets onto the stage within about 45 seconds, he's broken that fourth wall of theater and he's talking to us. And we're very aware that this is a really bright, entertaining lecturer who happens to also be a kick-ass storyteller and is putting the two of them together Uh, there was no ever sense that you were watching a watching a performance and and there were times when he'd interact or banter with the audience in a spontaneous fashion and or when he made a slip uh, or messed up a line or or, or prop didn't quite work correctly (laughs) um and he kind of rolls with it and makes you laugh about it Mm -hmm. yeah i've often wondered if that's what like is that what Demodocus did on stage? Was it all very formal, like it appears in the Odyssey, or did Demodocus, if the dog came into the room when he was doing the production, integrate the dog into the show? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It Why depends not? how much wine they consume that day. <laughs> Likely. <laughs> yeah, that that improvisation, that almost jazz-like quality that that, that a, maybe a, a Homer or, or a Bard would have in the, in the archaic period or whatever, is something that you know we we, do, we just don't know. You know, but I would like. To think <laughs> that they riffed that off be, of it, yeah, yeah, they would because they come with that whole, you know, that whole toolkit of skills uh, in order to assemble uh, in the moment any particular narrative, right, based on their themes, and that's you know that's their artifice right there, right. So and the the I'd set like to see was that in this case. the set was really clever, and the minimal props. I mean, there's a chair, <laughs> yeah, a wing chair, Which, <laughs> but. A, yeah. a very lovely yeah. wing chair, which has some, I don't know if I should go into it or not, but it has some surprising roles in the second half, um, does some very interesting things in the second half as as he's, as Stephen Fry is telling, telling the story. But then there's also a series of uh, screens or like scrims, or, I, I think almost um, around the stage. And there's, there's images, still images for the most part, projected on them. Um, and they are particularly well chosen, I think, to to uh, complement what he's talking about. Yeah. And one of the things that that struck me was towards the end when he's talking about Odysseus um, shooting the arrow through the twelve axe heads. Mm-hmm. I had never really thought about where the whole, like, where's the hole in the axe head? Like all the t- many times I've read that story and talked about it, and there was like the visual representation with the arrow shooting through it, like right on the screen behind. I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't I, <laughs> why wasn't I thinking about it that way? Yeah. Um, so there's the little visual clues that can help you at certain points in the story. It's perfect. It's perfect because, you know, these myths and these stories don't exist in the literary form. They weren't, they weren't absorbed that way by the ancients themselves. And we're, you know, we read it, right? And so we're already disadvantaged. But when you see image and sound together, it works. It's a multimedia mm-hmm. thing, right? Like these types of performances need to be multimedia because that makes them more true to what they might have been like. That's my take on it. Right? But at the same time, I think it 
even if without the uh, the images yeah. and the sound effects, it mm-hmm. would have been completely fine yeah. because he had that type of stage presence. It was kind of like he was like a modern day Demonicus or a yeah. bard. Like he was sitting up there and he, it was the way he was telling the story that it was his words that were captivating, not the set design, not the yeah. action happening on screen. It was him sitting up there just telling a story and everyone hung on every word that he was saying. And if I can be heretical here, <laughs> I, um. Of course I, not. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we really want to know no. what you think in particular because you yeah. have the experience yeah. of being up on stage yeah. telling these stories. Inquisition? <laughs> what, well, I was sitting there watching it and frantically going, it is no easy task. If any of our listeners to any three of these podcasts know trying to condense this epic story, and he tries to do the Iliad and the Odyssey and all the backstory all in two hours. It's, yeah. it's a Sisyphean or Herculean task. Take your choice. Yeah. The thing that I was being a little heretical about is I thought he was at his best when he was sitting in his chair Mm -hmm. and telling the story. And about every 15 minutes in the hour or so, Mm -hmm. that's when he would introduce, from my perspective, a game showy element. So there'd be a kind of ancient Greek trivial pursuit or Jeopardy thing. And he'd step out and it would be Stephen Fry and he'd say to the audience, choose a panel. Mm -hmm. And then what he'd do is he'd riff off whatever the content of that panel was and if, if I'm going to be at all uh, uncharitable, I thought he was brilliant when he was in the story. And then when he'd stop and he'd step into this, I was always a little disappointed and thinking, okay, you've just demonstrated you're, you're brilliant and you can riff on contemporary themes and, ooh, the, oh, the special effects are neat. Get back to the freaking story, Stephen. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was best when he was sitting there. And I don't think, he, I, don't think I was getting bored and needed the multimedia distraction. Right. No, that's just me. I don't know. I think no, that was yeah. to uh, kind of loosen it up because it was one hour and then intermission one hour. Yeah. Or it yeah. your attention span. Yeah. A bit of a break. Yeah. I think that I think that's kind of the purpose behind that. Um, for maybe some people who, I mean, looking at the crowd, I imagine most people knew the story. But for some people who might have been, this might have been like their first thing. You can kind of collect your uh, collective memory. You're seeing what's going on. You can digest it for a few minutes while he's talking about some uh, commentary on something he's going off on a tangent about, which the crowd wanted him to talk about. Um, so it, it just gave you, it just gave your brain a time to catch up for, it was only like four or five minutes or so. Yeah. And the thing with doing breaks like that is that it can be disruptive to yeah. the storyline, but I think the locations in the story, like he kind of, it, it, it was like chapters in a book. Like yeah. he kind of brought yeah. this, this little bit has, has come to a nice logical, well, maybe not logical, but this has come to a nice little conclusion. And we're just going to take, take a break. And then I also noticed it was also an opportunity for him to do a few things on stage with the chair at a couple of points that needed to be done for the next scene. Oh, some of the, uh, what, what do they call this stuff backstage? The machinery of yeah, the theater yeah, yeah. needed to. Yeah. 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 It was kind of pacing for himself, too, as he was doing that. Like, oh, he was moving some of the stuff around. He's like, maybe, maybe it was a cue for him collective going on. I, I, I was extremely impressed with, not just his storytelling, but just the fluidity of everything. I, 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 my podcast is very scripted. There's no way I could do that. But he was just, he talked fairly quickly because you have to in two hours. And he didn't, he made, there's a few scripts and you, you wouldn't even tell unless he called himself out on it. He was like, stupid Steven or whatever he called himself. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid Steven. I mean, a 
hundred ships, not a hundred people, yeah. what he said. And then he just went on, or he made a joke about it when he uh, talked about, he said Jesus as in like, uh, as like interruption. He's like, not Jesus. He wasn't there yet <laughs> or something. He made it, he made it funny. Like when he messed up because he has that sort of charisma on stage. Um, so it, yeah, it was that, it was that type of, uh, he was just a great storyteller and he, you can tell he, he thoroughly knew what he was going with, but you could also tell that he had, uh, kind of like Homer, he had like these stock things, like, like he was like things clicking and he was, when he would reach a certain point, it would jog where he was going and it was just, it was just fluid. And that's what yeah. the ancient storytellers did yeah. too, right? They had their kind of, their, their set pieces and then Um, we were mentioning in the car on the way back here that, um, about how he pieced together elements of the story and how there were obviously there's a lot that get that get swept out. I don't think any of us expected this to be a two hour and everything yes. relevant <laughs> to the story. Um, but we were talking about some of the things that we liked and maybe didn't expect or uh, with what he included and the ways he included it and embroidered on it. So I thought maybe maybe you guys could start and share some of those things that got left out that you didn't think should have been left out or you would have liked to have seen more of or that were included or that were included that oh man I know where you're going with this one where am I going the Iliad yeah I was saying to Ryan in the car on the way back I I, I said it was amazing I went and saw a two hour production of the Trojan War epic without a single scene from Homer's Iliad and I was still vastly entertained and and literally we were sitting in the back seat of the car driving back from it going did and no, his show made, there was absolutely no reference to anything that happens in the Iliad whatsoever. And, and that was very clearly, he wanted to focus on the backstory. So we got all the backstory and the backstory and the backstory. And then, of course, he actually glossed over the horse. The horse took about 14 seconds. I think he assumed we all knew the horse, yeah. which is likely fair. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the greatest delight to the moment when I had my little storyteller smile is when it wrapped up at the end and he ended his Spoiler alert here, folks. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, um, but he ended his odyssey with Odysseus and Penelope's reunion. And there's a lot of scholarly controversy going back to the scholars of third century Alexandria, I believe, yeah. Ryan, this is your geek out area, uh, <laughs> who argued that possibly this is when the odyssey was supposed to end in the last book and a half or later tacked on editions. I don't know. Yeah, the, the marginalia says tenios yeah. to end yeah. here. Yes. And my instincts when I've told this story on stage to live audiences is I always end my my odyssey Mm -hmm. with the Odysseus uh, Penelope reunion because I want it to end on a note of Shakespearean closure and reordering the universe and I think that's where it ends Um, but Fry was really delighted to watch somebody with his chops and credentials making the same decision absolutely shamelessly too or proudly yeah yeah and he uh, he omits all of the books from the odyssey that are about Telemachus so we don't we don't get very much Telemachus at all um, I was a little not a bad thing. No, sorry. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> yes, he almost got ran over yeah. by a plow. Yeah, that was it. No, no, I was a wuss, and now I'm twenty. Yeah. <laughs> those those books can be. I find them anyway. That those books are a little harder to get through. They're they're not as action driven, let's say, as mm. maybe the rest of, of of the Odyssey. I was disappointed that we didn't get any of Achilles or Hector fighting in the Trojan War because he did spend a lot of time with Achilles' backstory, and he, he mentions how Achilles died, but I was just like, just, just give me like a little bit more, just, just 
One scene. One scene. Um, I so he, there's a lot of different um, aspects of the myth that he talked about that I when I first heard it and me and Jeff talked about this at intermission. I was like, I don't remember hearing about that. But at the same time, when I first heard it, I was like that. That I probably just don't know it. Like I did, didn't seem wrong. And when we talked about it, we're like, I don't think that was ever. So he like made things up. He, he made like, things. He up. made things up. But like it wasn't a bad thing. It flowed throughout the narrative. Um, it wasn't anything like you would be angry about or egregious. I just made me think, huh? Maybe I just maybe it's some maybe it's some obscure myth because I don't know that all the myths. Um, so it was he would, did a very good job of just make he like he's a modern mythographer he wrote the myth uh mythos and he just connected the stories and the different type of stories the way he wanted to connect them to get to hit to get his overall theme uh which i thought was really really uh impactful and he definitely as, as jeff and everyone alluded to he definitely focused on the backstory uh glossed completely over the iliad and i which could be uh, could be a benefit to a lot of people who don't know the backstory very much who are, are familiar with the Iliad. So it could be that, or, I mean, it could be just per personal preference, but he did go into, like, he started with the very first, uh, like the foundation of Troy uh, and all that sort of stuff. And he went heavy into that really quickly. Uh, and and, and you, when you get to Troy, you're like, you're there for what? 25 seconds. 25 yeah. seconds. Yeah. yeah. The, a 10 year war in 25 seconds. Yeah. All of a sudden Paris is yeah, yeah. Nine years, nothing happened. And Oh, yeah. and then Achilles got killed in Paris and yeah. then there was a horse. Yeah. Intermission. <laughs> yeah. And then we're moving in. And did the Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. I, the one, the one thing I was kind of disappointed about, and we talked about this, uh, because he did go into the backstory very much. I don't even remember him saying the name Iphigenia once. Nope. No, she didn't come up. At once. He didn't, like, he talked about Clytemnestra, and he gave He didn't like, even take a stab at it. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Sorry, yeah. geek yeah. joke. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with everyone's impression. Um, I don't know. Um, what was, what were we commenting on again? Uh, just about things that got left out. Oh, yeah, the, the, the included how Well, you know what? Yeah, exactly. Even those people that don't really know the myth, like you guys were alluding to, you know, like you say... Trojan War. Well, what's it about? It's the War of Troy. So we started with giving you a little bit of Troy. There was a war. Here's the two famous casualties. Get onto the book that maybe not so many people know so well, being the Odyssey, right? Mm -hmm. And my 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 feeling or my instinct that informed those choices for him in constructing this narrative were about this this theme of of men, right? So yep. the idea of of the of the hero Odysseus as being, you know, this. This singular man, right? Look at like we had said. Look at the way that the story of the Odyssey begins, right? Uh, what single goddess of a man of many wiles and all this blah, right? So it's a it's it's the complete polar opposite of theme of the demigod, near god Achilles character. But here in the Odyssey, it's a story about a man, and this section was about men. So I thought it was kind of neat because that worked, right? And like Ryan said, the embroidery that and. The, the embellishment and yeah. the embellishment and the rearranging yeah. that Stephen Fry did was all really it made sense it worked yeah. and as much as I've you and I have spent many years uh, studying <coughs> excuse me uh, studying studying these myths there were moments where I was like I haven't heard that before but I don't know it sounds completely feasible i'm sure there's a source for it. Wow. Be because the things that that he included and embellished were just really well done and they didn't stick out he spent 
more time on the first sack of Troy than he did on the second sack of Troy, which I found fascinating. <laughs> I love that. Though, uh, yeah, I know. Nobody knows about the yeah. first sack of Troy, yeah. right? And 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 the, and Troy as a site of contention between men and gods, right? And it's not just about the Trojan War that we know in the Iliad. It's it's much it's much earlier. Yeah, and the only trade-off of it's not a trade-off as a, as a criticism because you can only do so much in two hours. Let's go back to what Darren said. Um, the only by covering so much story and so many characters, I loved the way he told the stories, but he had to move along at such a pace that I didn't develop uh, empathy with any characters except possibly Odysseus because we had Odysseus for an entire hour at the end. Yeah. So back to what you were saying, Darren, about Odysseus being the star of the afternoon performance. Yeah. Um, Odysseus, I cared about. I wanted Odysseus to get home. Yeah. Uh, Achilles, a bit of pre-story on baby Achilles and the river sticks and all of those things. Yeah. But when he announced that Achilles was killed, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel a thing. Yeah. When they announced that Paris was killed, I didn't feel a thing. And you should then be cheering and enjoying dancing in the streets. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. And, w- and when he yeah. announced that Troy had burned... Yeah. I also didn't feel a thing yeah. because yeah. he had had to move so quickly in the first set right. that there was nobody like, where was that scene with Priam and yeah. the body of Hector, you know, yeah. the classic, but we got it. You know. you're, you're right. I didn't really notice that at the time. And I wasn't really thinking about that, but as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, I didn't really feel a strong but he, connection. I, I didn't either, but he did. Well, and this might've been part of it too, because he did seem to intentionally kind of disqualify Paris at the beginning, the way that he was talking about him being obsessed with this, Golden armor and the and the, yeah. the games and his his mannerisms and so was a, not a sympathetic character no. at the beginning, right? No. But the 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 speed, like the velocity of that that little part at the end, where he's saying, and he too was killed by a poison arrow, and well, you know how the Trojan War worked out, yeah. and we saw the flames, and we're like, yeah. okay, yeah, right, but. That was it. Right? It reminded me of like ending credits real, uh, at the end of that scene. He was like, <laughs> we build up these characters. Yeah. And it's like, it's like they got good wins. Mm-hmm. They were at the beach. They, they made camp. Ten years later, Achilles was shot in the hill. Yeah. Paris got his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Everybody dies, or everybody who dies dies. And he was like, yeah. he's like, and then Odysseus is on his merry go way. And then now, now we're going to our main character. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of wins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wins. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. sorry, you gave me such a good segue. Yeah. Um, so the audience had the choice uh, bet- between two Im- images shown on the screen, and one was a bag of wind, and one was a flower, yeah. and. If you're familiar at all with the story, you know which parts of the Odyssey those those represent. And our audience, or somebody in our audience, chose for us the bag of wind, and we got the story of the wind. And Fry made a self-deprecating joke about it, it's the story, not me. That's a bag of wind, right? Yeah, yeah. he was good at that kind of thing. Someone yeah. picked it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was not quite sure what to expect because to me that's not like a really gripping. That's kind of that's always a part that we just kind of skip over. Like, oh yeah, it happened and. It, it obviously influenced his his uh, journey, but we don't spend a lot of time really thinking about that. So I'm just curious people's take on on that on how we presented that. Yeah, story. he that's not, not the many sound effects. It was a gun. <laughs> it was a flatulent experience. Yeah. Yeah. Aeolus yeah. is not really a character that gets um, like brought up very well in the many myths, yeah. and so he had kind of I don't want to say a blank canvas, but mm-hmm. he kind of could make him. The way he yep. wanted to That's do, extremely yeah. Yep. So he just he's like wind. We're gonna we're gonna make him a very gassy fellow yeah. or, or belching, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and bel- belching yeah. and farting, yeah, yeah. In, in, in rapid succession. Yes, yeah. and he he was just like he reminded me of like 
He reminded me of that uh that the old uh king in Game of Thrones before the Red Wedding that just sits up there, the old guy, like on his throne. That's oh. that's how I, that, every time oh, I picture it. You're him. right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. From what's uh, the name of the family? The, yeah, the family with the ugly daughters. Uh, yes, the yes, yes, the yeah, prize, yeah, the prize. Yeah. He, that's, that, that, he reminded me of him with a yeah. with a farting problem. without the mass butchery at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. the Red Wedding. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that, that was definitely interesting. Um, I was, I'd be curious uh, if anyone uh, has seen this, if they chose Lotus, how that turned yeah. out too. Because if that was, if the Lotus is as funny as that one was, and it kept up the same theme, that was probably a bunch of pot jokes and a bunch of uh, yeah. stoner jokes yeah. and uh, yeah. S- s- yeah. and that, Drug that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was hilarious. He he was he was pretty funny. Uh, I've seen some of this comedy before, but and even though I knew most of the stuff, so I could kind of see where you could add the comedy. I just I, it took me by surprise mm-hmm. with a lot of the. He well, had the, you, the you had mentioned Monty Python on a comedy oh, like that, oh, and that yeah, and that, that like it, it would be your experience of British comedy, yeah. right? So with a bit of Benny Hill built yeah, in, was, yeah, yeah, some of that yeah. stuff thrown in, right? So Those that like to me quips. was very British, but also the 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 acumen in order to be able to create. And build uh, on a character like Aeolus, like you said, who's a tabla rasa, right? <laughs> and you could do whatever you like. And then we're like, okay, so what do I have to work with? He's a good host. He seems to treat Odysseus well, and he's a, a god of winds. And, <laughs> and here we go, right? Yeah. And then all of that is all again embellished onto it, and with a great deal of skill. And I thought, wow, that's great because, like you said, it's like, come on, it's Aeolus. You read a couple of pages in that book, and you're on, you're on your way out, right? <laughs> yep. Uh, but there, that was a big deal. The only thing that. I, and, and I, of course, want to hear what the rest of you have to say, but he did – this was – I was just getting used to that uh, Trivial Pursuit style break. Right. Yeah. So this was the first one that busted that pattern when those two images came up. And he gave me a little bit of a preamble because he said, now, this is not what you were expecting, but it's at this point that I have to get you to choose – where I'm going to go because he did tell you that he didn't have enough time, like we've been yes. saying, right? So it was a choose your own adventure kind of book at that point. And it was, well, where do you want to go? Do you want to, because I need to do a compression, but I'm going to let that compression be chosen by you. Why and, not? And, bringing, and like, in, okay. yep. bringing in that choice, I think, brings back something so important to these myths that is completely lost when you read them. Mm-hmm. Or, or if we just watch them and there's just kind of one narrative, like on TV, and it's just one, oh, one, like one yeah. narrative. And, because it yeah. brings the audience back into it and mm-hmm. how these were originally formed were with an audience. And the bards wanted to please the audience and they wanted the audience to enjoy it. Oh, sure. Right? I'm sure you... The modern storyteller, yeah, right? Wants the audience to you, 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 uh, I was going to say please. I'd say I pander, but... <laughs> um, it's it's a fine line, really. yeah. but but no, it's really a problem, and I face this in my live Odyssey show because I have an hour long show, a two hour long show, and a four hour show, right. and every one of them has to every one of them has to be a quest story where your character has to get from point A to point B, right. and every one of them has to have monstrous temptations and an obligatory journey to the land of the dead because then you don't have a quest story if you don't have those elements. But inside of that, I'm constantly going. Okay, they've given me an hour and fifteen minutes or a two hour show, and I'll be doing a show in an auditorium that happened to me last year. I was two thirds of the way through the first hour. I had my set. There was a fire alarm. Three hundred and fifty people leave the auditorium and come back fifteen minutes later. They can't extend it because of the nature of the venue. I've got to cut out an island. Mm-hmm. Essentially, and the beauty of the Odyssey is it's the easiest thing in the world to do. So then it's just a question, okay, w- yeah, which island do we cut out? And mm-hmm. I eliminated the sirens that yeah. day and kept still in, in Charybdis. But yeah. he was demonstrating, I think, in real time through the game show mm-hmm. thing that 
Well, today's show, uh, we have, we'll do the Odyssey tomorrow, right. we'll, or today we'll do Lotus, tomorrow we'll do Aeolus. And my guess is that that's what a storyteller would have had to do for the last 3,000 years. Absolutely. Look at your audience, look at the time, look yeah. at how restless they are, yeah. leave them hungry when they're going to maximize your tip. Right, and then a, but, and do it in a framework yep. in such a manner that gives agency to the audience so that yes. you don't get blamed for it. You it's, know what I mean? Yep. So if you went back and they went, he left out the way, yep. that's what we would be talking about. Right? Exactly, whining about it, yep. yeah. Yeah, right, but no, we chose yep. that. Yep. And, you know, to be honest, I can't really recall what parts were omitted sure. in the, well, be, well beyond well, the actual Lotus yeah. scenes. T Telemachus, the Lotus. Yeah. 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 Like, that's about it, that's really. Because he, yeah. he covered the Cyclops, right? Aeolus, yeah. the Last Dragonians, yes. Circe, uh, the Underworld scene, yes. uh, the Sirens, Scylla, Cryptus, Cryptus, Helios' cattle, Calypsa, Nausicaa, and mm. then Ithaca. Yeah, Ithaca. Uh, yeah. So he covered most of it. I guess he just had to make... A choice, so it was either Aeolus or Lotus, and it was kind of like those. Not that those are minor stories, but at the same it time, it, yeah, it was like it was one or the other. Uh, the other ones, the other ones, kind of follow a different theme sure. or so, because um, because they lost people or yeah. they they portray Odysseus in a certain yeah. way. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I liked how he handled Circe and that episode. I thought was really enjoyable and really interesting and how he and and again maybe this is because we're trained to think of to think about these things and we kind of are already primed to think about these things by studying it but how he showed or or brought out for me anyway that Odysseus had learned from his mistakes about what to do with his men and they weren't all gonna he wasn't gonna send everybody in all at once they were gonna um so that that aspect really came out for whatever reason it really came out for me in, in his performance um the Cersei thing yeah right because he talks about how they were going to divide and, and, he, and he plays up Eurylochus right like Eurylochus becomes a character and then and then he uses Eurylochus again in places where Homer doesn't name Eurylochus but he becomes I think Jeff you said he's like the foil yeah Darren said Odysseus, foil yeah, yeah. Darren said, sorry, the foil to yeah. British humor again. Like uh, humor. it's kind of like the side remarks to <laughs> yeah, like he's he's talking and then he's like making fun of what he's saying. Yeah. And the different voices. Like, yeah. yeah. He's using different voices. That part that it was right in that episode where where I really started to begin to appreciate how good of a mimic he was. Yes. Because like you're like okay if you don't really have an ear for British accents you're like you can't tell a Scotsman from an Irishman or an Englishman from a guy from London or Derry or Norwich or wherever he's from right. But I'm like listening, and then at one point he said, "It sounds like Michael Caine," and I was like, "Guys, I pictured him in my head," and <laughs> yes. I was like, yep. "Bang, it's Michael Caine." He had that deadpan, and then there was an Alec Guinness part. Where yes, he, and he even said Luke. So Luke he even him, pulled in the Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker joke, Skywalker which was also nice because it tied it ancient myth into contemporary yeah, myth right. and quest and, stories. Yeah. And then, but yeah. the, the other yeah. problem with that though was judging from the average age of the audience members, I doubt that one. We well, did some flybys on that. No, no, my gosh, what a blue rinse audience if I've ever seen one. Now, granted, we're going to a matinee in the middle of the week, yeah. and people are... And, and tickets were brutally working. expensive. Yes, and they're expensive and, and yeah. whatnot. You might have, you might have Can I jump back to yeah. Cersei? Because there was yeah. one thing I noticed about the show, and maybe it's just my feminist agenda, sure. but um, he, the women inside of that entire two-hour story didn't get any airtime at all. Uh, Helen was an object. Uh, we never even, she was gone, chosen, gone. Uh, briefly, there is one reference to poor Penelope waiting, but very, very, very 
little about her. Yeah. Uh, when they got to the reason I thought about it, Allison, is when he got to the Circe Island, I thought, how can he miss the all men are pigs joke? Yeah. I mean, it's just sitting there. It's low hanging fruit <laughs> for yeah, a storyteller, yeah, yeah. and he didn't. And, and I was sure he was setting it up. And yeah. he, he, he I mean, my gosh, how do you not do that? He did yeah. the no one joke, but uh, in the cave with. But I thought he he did Circe. He had Calypso. He had Penelope, and he had Helen. The only character and Nausicaa and, and Clytemnestra, like yeah, and Nausicaa. Sure. The only woman who got a sympathetic sentence was poor Cassandra, who turned down the advances of Apollo, and he right. spits in her mouth and curses her. Right. But essentially, I, I don't know. I thought he missed, given this guy's uh, yeah. Stephen Fry's yeah. reputation yeah. and his and his interests yeah. and his advocacy. Expected. I thought this is a little bit uh, yeah. this pretty standard. Pretty yeah. tame standard telling of the story. Yeah. Pretty really PG. Maybe again it was a yeah. Blue Rinse audience. I don't yeah. know. Well, in all fairness, it is called Men. Just yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is called Men. So maybe, I feel maybe, like really yeah, here. yeah. yeah. It, uh, it oh, hold on. I was raising your free flag over there, Allison. And I'm all for it. But, yeah. Uh, but I think that that Ryan is correct, and uh, and 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 it might be. You know, as contentious as it is, or as, as an issue as we choose to make it, I think it might be deliberate because. It's, a, it's almost a reaction to those other types of things that we might expect and thereby draw our attention. But, right? then, but it's like, it's not really going to be a story about Cersei. It's not really going to be a story about Penelope as much as we might like it to be, or even Helen for that matter. It really is about the men. It was about Odysseus in that sense. Of course, it's a channel. It's a patriarchal yeah. Yeah. tax. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So then, like, how, how much of that is just him wanting to stick with the tradition? Stick with the tradition. Yeah. But, but then he constantly steps out of the tradition yeah. and whenever i think he was using his his game shows and his digressions right. a couple of them gave him an opportunity to and pontificate's not fair because he was yeah. much more eloquent yeah. than that right. but to to be there was one where it looked as though he was attempting to get at some of his 21st century reading an agenda of this story and bring it bring some of those more contemporary issues or trigger points okay. in the first mm-hmm. half we heard him do that okay. um so I think maybe that's what he was doing is, mm-hmm. but you're right. It was a pretty standard telling of the storyline. Yeah. He did, uh, I mean, to be fair, he did uh, spend like five minutes pretending to be the Pythia. Uh, yes, that. <laughs> yes. So this, this okay. is really <laughs> fair, Good point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what, what he did was before the performance started, and it was also printed in the playbill, right. that during, during intermission... You could email, and a lot of people have devices that would let you do that from the theater. Not some me, of which since I'm an American. Some of which <laughs> turned on during the show, yes. 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 Oh. <laughs> um, you could email a question to oracle at seannet.com or some, I, uh, something like that. I don't oracle Delphi? It was Delphi, yeah. yeah. Delphi. The oracle of Delphi yeah. would answer it. <laughs> and, yeah. and so he chose, I, I'm trying to remember now what the question It was, was a question about the difference between uh, Greek uh, the Greek pantheon, and the Roman, Roman pantheon, Roman. and how yes. come there's there's less Roman here? Yeah, uh, I thought yeah. that was a really good question. Yeah, it was, and it, and it tied in directly where he was going because then he was like, "But there's Aeneas, and then yeah. the sack of Troy, and let's go." And yeah. then it was kind of cool. Uh, but it yeah, made you think the question was a plant? It was. He was just so smooth. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And, and well, he probably they probably cherry picked right from yeah. whatever they had. Yeah, I have no yeah. problems if it was a plant. I mean, yeah. that's a good yeah. rhetorical. And, 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 and then he had this. Well, Hercules was a Roman hero. Yeah. Hercules was a pretty big Roman hero oh, that kind of, deal. yeah, I mean, I mean, he wasn't purely Roman. I mean, no. there was some aspects and they kind of got dwindled, but I mean, yeah, they definitely don't. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to know, and I would have to do some research on this, but I'm kind of curious to know what academics came up with. 
how did he research this? What's his What's his background? It might be in the acknowledgments in the book. So I'm gonna have to look into that because mm-hmm. that thought just crossed my mind. Like, okay, he's like a polymath and a Cambridge movie. educated, you know, yeah. comparative literature genius. So he I did. Don't think yeah. he really needs yeah. much. He did say. He, he did say though. And some time with but, the word process, but, yeah. I trust him entirely. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I don't mean it to be like uh, you know derogatory or, or diminish what he's doing, but mm-hmm. he does a lot of a lot of different stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so kind of what's what's he, what is he tapping into mm-hmm. with these things? He did, he did say at one point though the his um like motivation behind writing mythos was did he say it was uh women in his life or the women of the stories is what motivated him i haven't read the I whole thing that. yet yeah he said something of that I, I haven't read the whole thing yet but uh so when i do hmm. i will I'll, yeah i'll we'll, update we'll, you we'll get back together yeah, i'll get back to you it's when i can have enough time that's non-podcast related uh, <laughs> yeah, so 25 years 20, from now. yeah 20 yeah. 20 30 when the podcast is over with sure. <laughs> so i wanted as well to talk a little bit about the sirens um because we were talking about that on the way oh, over yeah. and you all had some really good points about the siren episode and that's also where the stage props start to come in to things where he ties himself with uh, what, what, what was he saying? He Ancient said. Greek Velcro, which wasn't very good, or something to that, uh, to the to his wooden back chair. Um, his mask, the mast, yeah. Which is standing in for the mast. Yeah. He's very conveniently seated. Um, and he also, I noticed, used the opportunity to fasten his seatbelt yeah. because his chair is going to travel. Oh, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Deus ex machina. Yeah. <laughs> literally, yeah. literally. Quite literally, yeah. yeah. Quite literally, yeah. quite literally. Yeah, um, yeah because... Except the, the god from the stage was, a, was being elevated up into the clouds. He came yeah. he came yeah. in like a wrecking ball. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the deus ex machina was usually a crane that lived yes, in the right. lab, and here yeah. it's like a hydraulic, hydraulic. piston of some sort from underneath. But There's a wardrobe the malfunction, yeah. or not a wardrobe malfunction, uh, but a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, a, uh, <laughs> a hardware malfunction. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having Janet Jackson images <laughs> yeah. with Stephen Fry. It's just hardware. really confusing. Which <laughs> Yeah, it takes us back to first interest. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, just use your imagination. Never mind, don't, don't use your imagination. Right, right. Um, yeah. So anyway, we were talking about the sirens and about the presentation of sirens as women, and how he cho- also chose to present the sirens as figures that knew the future. And I think you all had really good, really interesting, thoughtful things to say about that. So let's hear them again if you can remember. That's what I'm struggling with at the I was being really thoughtful two hours ago in the car. <laughs> I always do my best thinking in the shower when nobody's away, right. and then and then when I'm around people, I always forget what I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay, so to jog your memory a little prompt bit. Prompt aside. Yeah, I'll prompt you a little bit. Um, we were talking about how there's some traditions where the sirens uh, tell the future, and then there's oh, right. other traditions where oh they they're, they're yeah. uh, seductive. Seductive. Yeah. Yeah. Seductive. Yeah. Oh. And, how that ties and you're talking about Christian. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's yeah. Yeah, the quick take on that is Homer's siren, if you go to the Odyssey, Homer's sirens, there's two of them, only two. Homer gives us no physical description of what the sirens look like at all. I'm doing this all because Odyssey, the podcast, is coming out, shameless plug. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but there's only two sirens, and Homer doesn't give us a freaking clue what they're going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then what happens over the next hundreds of years is that artists go to town on the sirens. So first of all, they go up in number. So eventually you end up with actually 12 of them. They all have personal names. Uh, Then somebody along the way decides to slap um, 
turn them into birds. So now they're these flying bird things that fly around the boats. Mm -hmm. And then somebody goes, wouldn't it be nice if we gave them women's heads? So now we have flying yes. birds with women's heads. But the flying birds is a conflation yep. with the heartbeat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and and so you have pictures of Odysseus with these bird women flying right. around. Then somebody said, well, shouldn't they come out of the sea? So then what we got is we got so women with fish bodies. Yeah. Somebody said, let's make them topless. We'll get more audience share. Uh, so they went in that direction. They they took off the tops. And then at some point, some genius said, screw the fish bodies. Let's just make them naked ladies. And the artists of the Renaissance went to town and everything's been good since. Everything's so, naked during the Renaissance. Yeah. Everybody's naked. And everybody's happy. So, But what ended up happening is at the same time that they change culturally in the message in homer's story the message that they're telling is essentially a message of odysseus we will promise you perfect knowledge we'll tell you everything that happened at troy all that it meant and then darren you said and we will tell you the future yeah and then gradually over time the more female we made the sirens and the more clothes we took off of them the more the sirens go from having that message to hey come to our island big boy we'll yeah. offer you a good time right we'll suck out your soul with our kisses yeah yeah, yeah, and it, yeah. And it becomes a Beyond siren as a sexual woman who leads yeah. temptress femme fatale stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Lured into the waters, that type of thing, on yeah. your own destruction, right? Exactly. Yeah, and then became sort of a symbol for temptation, like I had mentioned with those medieval manuscripts with the figure of yeah. the mermaid figure, and then Odysseus tied to the mast, you know, being the only pious one who could could just have enough strength and fortitude of spirit to deny himself to to, to to cleave to a temptress's body. Thinking, oh, Penelope. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Penelope. Yeah, yeah, that type of thing. Right? Except he's yeah. likely thinking, man, that was a great year of Circe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it was a good point. I'm trying to think in the play, in the performance himself, how he really worked that. Uh, he, he had, he had the, he, had the he was describing up. the song. I think there was a, there, there, were, there was some music in the background. Yeah. Music. In the background. And then he had them talking about all of the things that were going to happen in like, 50 years and 100 oh, right. years and then he was going on like post-it notes and iPads screens yeah. with pictures yeah. on them yeah. and fidget spinners and yeah. so he's kind of yeah. like pulling in these things to make the audience laugh and, and, and you know, you'd almost look, if this was a touring show, he did the little Canadiana shout out at the end. Right. So the final thing in the future was the two love gods from Canada named Justin. Yes. Uh, and oh, we yes. all took for a moment and thought, it, it, oh, the Beebs, oh, and yeah. then the other guy, our yeah. prime minister. But I'm enough of a geek that I thought, oh, sure. Oh, I completely forgot about the prime minister. I was trying to figure out who is the other Justin singer Bieber. named Justin. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I know. Justin yeah, how could an American Sarah forget about our prime minister? But yeah, but I, was, I thought he was talking about <laughs> a pop culture person. Yeah. He, our prime minister, well, is a pop culture person. <laughs> I, I knew he was talking about Beaver. I was like, who is the other Canadian singer named Justin? Well, he's the guy that was going to burn down the White House. Uh, <laughs> but the second time, because he did it the yeah. first time. Uh, sorry, yeah. So just for our listeners, Ryan's on his first visit to Canada. Yeah. So. And, and, and Canada in the United States is currently embroiled in a little bit of a uh, family yeah. uh, family Squab quarrel, squabble over trade with our American cousins mm -hmm. to the South, who we love most of the time very much. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they're trying to tax me heavily while I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did introduce you to Tim Hortons. <laughs> and we're only charging you 75 cents on the dollar for everything. So, yeah, yeah, you can leave. <laughs> yeah. so I liked how the sirens were, were done with, with that type of humor and pulling in those modern, those modern connections. And if you were doing this as a performance storyteller and touring this show, mm -hmm. that's one of those pieces where you go into your town and you research the local joke and the local politician. Mm -hmm. And True. that's when you say, and the yeah. sirens then told him about, yeah. and you contextualize it because you, you guarantee yourself a laugh. It's like yeah. the rock band that says, we love you. Yeah. Is it Cleveland tonight? Yeah, yeah. Cleveland! <laughs> kind of. Yeah, uh, and, and you can see the storyteller background in him 
because that's a that's a cheap and easy laugh. Everybody yeah. wants to like the butter yeah. tart laugh. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. and with the blue yeah. rinse crowd again, which, yeah. I haven't <laughs> had but, which I haven't had butter tarts yet since we got here. Sorry, so. tomorrow, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no we will make sure we get we yeah. <laughs> get some. And, and I enjoyed the Polyphemus episode as well because we spent quite a bit of time on in the cave. In, in, in the cave and uh, really brought that to light. And again, like the the screens were showing the outline of the cave as, as though you were inside yeah, the cave. Yeah, that was cool. It was kind of meta. And, yeah. and so you're kind of, you're, so it even helps you imagine like the sheep coming in and how, you know, like his, his big wheels of cheese are like baby bells. And, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> when he eats, or does this man scale. And crunches him down like coffee crisps and mm-hmm. kind of just, and the way he does it, like makes those references, it's just really, really natural. Yep. It doesn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. That's just a stage presence. Like yeah. you're just you didn't expect it. Well, when when was the, when when did he make the Bart or the Homer Simpson joke? Uh, oh. That that oh, I was that, rolling. That was I was rolling. Um, yeah, I was sitting yeah. beside you, and, and I was. You lost it. I lost it. Uh, I can't remember now. Because it was Homer Simpson, like a la Matt Gronig's yeah. Homer Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. Like, of, know, that was Homer, in the second part. Yeah. At some point during the Odyssey, it was a and surprise. Where Homer said, "Nope." Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, he and Jeff didn't get it until like ten seconds later, and then you hear this laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the Simpsons, man. I thought I thought that was that was cool. I, and I'm trying to to integrate the production in the in the last section because the last section that had that rather dramatic stage development, mm-hmm. right? With the rising of the chair into the olive branch and how brilliantly was that not that woven into so yeah. the narrative of the bed yeah. right yeah yeah and allison set that up for yeah. darren's so, yeah. so just just for yeah. our I listeners was, and yeah. then i'll let darren darren expand on it so um when odysseus's ship goes over the whirlpool and he watches his men being all sucked down and there's this is an olive branch hanging off of the cliff and he climbs up the mast and this is where his wingback chair uh, no, not not his chair, but he himself, the seat of his chair, which he's fastened to the seat, yeah. separates, and he is lifted up into the air, and uh, the chair or the chair. Oh man, I'm getting my the chair goes down and it doesn't spin. The, okay, so, yeah. so the, the the chair all goes up with him on it as he climbs the mast, and then he's fastened to the seat of the chair. So the rest of the chair comes back down, and it was supposed to spin around and re- and represent the ship, and it didn't quite work. And he made jokes about that. But he's Odysseus hanging onto this olive tree that's growing out of this cliff, um, saving himself. And this is how he loses the last of his men. Yeah. And when he's hanging on to that olive tree, Fry adds something that's not in Homer. He says, and all that Odysseus could remember was yeah. the olive tree when he and Penelope were courting each other and Darren, yeah. that's your cue to... Yeah, because yeah. that's what he was moving into next. Yes. Just like we were talking about where it was a convenient place to stop, right? He had that in mind. That the immovable bed, their marriage bed that we know from the Odyssey, yep. was going to be the place that he was drawing us into, and and by making reference to the that that olive tree that you know would say saved his life, yeah, clinging on clinging to, clinging on yeah. to it, you know, literally reaching for it yeah. in that sort of strange suspended space, like it's 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 symbolic in a way. It's neither yeah. heaven nor earth, neither yeah. life nor death, sort of a suspension yeah. kind of situation of. Liminality yep. itself, right? Where the where the performative aspect of it like moves off to the ground. Yep. And it's a story about men, right? But it's also about transcendence, right? Yep. So here it is, this moment, and and then and then bang, he grabs a hold of it, and then we move into the reunification situation. It's so it's kind he, of oh, 
it's, it's kind of symbolic like uh in like in life when you have any sort of troubles or anything most people when they when they're faced with adversity they kind of cling back to their roots yeah and that's what they that's what they think of or yeah. that's what they fall back on and it's like all of his men were swirling around the whirlpool and he clinged back to his roots like his home and literal a little and, and, and the trunk and the branches yeah yes yeah. that too but yeah okay i didn't mean yeah. it for that but that well, set up really well yeah well yeah yeah right uh, so like he basically was just holding on to it and he was just thinking about his wife like i want to get home blah right. blah blah and he like it was in, in his desperate time of need that was a thought and and like you said it wasn't that's something that wasn't in the sources and you can think and i thought of it i was like that doesn't sound like anything I've heard before. But it worked. But it oh, did. Right. But but I could be yeah. wrong because I'm not the expert on Homer like Jeff is. It's it's uh, going to. <laughs> that was one of the bits yeah. that I'm going to shamelessly steal on my Odyssey show because, along with the flashlights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I, I do that quite naturally throughout my show, so I can't just limit it to. <laughs> How do you explain it all the other times? So, but but the four-hour show will have the, the, the flashlights. The, 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 the problem with the final unification scene when you're telling the story and people aren't knowing the story is you trying to explain to a live audience at that moment of reunification when Penelope's waiting and not sure if it's Odysseus and in my version of it, I'll have Odysseus say, well, give me a test. And what Homer really does is it, it, but people don't understand the idea. Hold on. It's, they've got this tree that they built and it's out of a trunk of a bed. And most audiences just, have a hard time understanding the mechanics of it. it. It's the same as trying to understand the mechanics of, hold on, it shoots an arrow through axe heads. And yeah. our modern audiences don't understand olive trees or, or throw axe, axe heads very much. Yeah. So what it's is an axe? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the only beds they've ever bought are at Ikea. <laughs> <laughs> so, They're definitely not really yeah. the floor. <laughs> so, so the challenge in that scene is you've got this poignant moment where Odysseus freaks out and says, you moved the bed and yeah. everything like that. And mm-hmm. then he goes and he sees the real bed. Mm-hmm. But if your audience hasn't, understood the mechanics of the scene then when you get to actually telling the scene the audience can't enjoy the reunification and the emotional thing or Odysseus is because they're still trying to understand the stagecraft and the hold on how's this bed where's the bed going and the same thing happens with shooting through the axe heads if so what Fry did by going back 10 minutes earlier in the story mm-hmm. and introducing us to the bed and telling us the and I Odysseus mean, remembered still- the backstory of the bed and yeah. telling us the backstory then when the bed comes in in the final scene and the audience already, when Penelope says, my bed, the audience already knowingly is with it. And then they're in the moment with Odysseus and Penelope right. and the, the omniscient narrator doesn't have to come and say, okay, let me give you some context here. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's, that's what, I mean, yeah. when you watch a master storyteller, like yeah. Fry do it, mm-hmm. you never should have to stop and say, okay, before I go on, I have to tell you a bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, cause that's what. Exactly. Yeah, that's what a weak storyteller or yeah. or yeah. what you have to do if you're tell, doing a lecture or something. Yeah. And Fry just made it so seamless that the audience got the delight without getting lost. Yeah, he, he was able to incorporate yeah. foreshadowing into, it was, into, his, yeah. into his story. And it was, yeah. it was and, done seamlessly and really, really expertly. You know, yeah, it was polished. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought the too, that now we're thinking about that wood, wood, olive wood, mm-hmm. olive wood. And then for me, when I'm thinking about the Odyssey and you're thinking about olive wood, olive wood, yeah. olive wood, there's three instances. It's usually the sharpened olive wood stake. But did you notice the choice that he made on how he it's represented it? He said thing. it was a broom handle. And he didn't talk about it being as olive wood. He just said it's a broom yeah. handle. They knocked it off. They sharpened it up the best they could. And then they sizzled to say, yeah. oh, yeah. the sizzling eyeballs yeah. always get yeah, that's, always <laughs> that's always a, a nice visceral image. I can, yeah. It's a good I, moment yeah. in the Odyssey yeah. as well when the, yeah. it becomes... It's the, onoma- the yeah. onomatopoeia of the Stuff word like that. sizzle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, was, it was good. So, 
We mentioned that the story itself concludes with the reunification scene, but then Stephen Fry kind of wraps it up a little bit. Um, yeah, that was great. And I'm curious how you guys felt about that wrap-up, which is, if I recall correctly, um, he talks about how now if you go up Mount Olympus, the gods aren't there, and he connects the the gods as representing mm-hmm. emotions and characteristics within us as individual humans. So anyway. Um, I So when he first started talking about that, like uh, if you go up to Mount Olympus now and they're not there, their thrones are empty, they're gone because... Uh, um, because they saw that uh, Odysseus reached his final journey and they realized that men don't need the gods as much as they did before. I was like, oh, this is going to be corny as hell. Like, that's, that was my first thought. I was like, sure. this was is going to... No, it turned out really profound uh, with the star spinning around and they talked about... Uh, and then he goes into the, like, although we may not need the gods of Greek myth anymore, they still live within us. You have the wild craziness of Dionysus you have when you have love and reason fighting against each other when you're trying to make decisions in life and relationships Aphrodite and Apollo are going at it he was just things like that and I was like oh okay this is a very good way it's not as corny as I thought it was gonna be like but I was at first I was like this is gonna be corny like (laughs) like, I was like yeah (laughs) that was my that was my initial impression and he he ended it very he ended it very very well um, I thought the theme of home and family, which he really pulled <laughs> out with Odysseus's homecoming. So it wasn't just with this last bit, but it naturally flowed from where he was in, in the story. I found it kind of poignant because of everything that's happening in the world today and with, with refugees that are in the news a lot right now as we're recording this and that kind of situation. And the idea that we need to be human to each other. And I'm not trying to moralize, but this is just how, how it struck me about the need to be to be human and to have home and to have family and those important human connections. And that's why the gods aren't really, why the Greek gods, you know, we don't need the Greek gods because we figured out that that's, that that's what, what we needed. So I I felt that there was a, there was a timeliness to, to it. I liked how it ended. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. There was sort of a transcendent quality to it. You know, we talked about the idea of men and the story of men. And then how Odysseus himself, as being emblematic of that man, mostly for most of the performance, went through you know this trial and tribulation, this this period of change, the reunification that we talked about, and they're transformative figures, mostly heroes, right? So he became something better. And then in, you know we you say, well, what was lost, right? The gods, what did they do? They left Mount Olympus, they evacuated uh, their thrones, they didn't retreat to the stars, but they became in, they came inside of us. And we recognize their quality inside of us. I thought it was a nice message. And it was an interesting message because when he went through the list of the gods and how they moved into us, um, it just occurred to me now that we were watching the third part of a trilogy. Mm -hmm. And so this wasn't just his conclusion. As he alluded to in the first five minutes that there were the cheapskates who were coming in for one section as opposed to the people that had like a 100 bucks a night to watch all three. Obviously, they don't run podcasts. Uh, you may donate at the end of this page to Myth Take or to... Okay, so... But, but, but essentially, if you actually could afford to and are watching all three in a row, then this was the conclusion of two hours on gods, two hours on heroes, and then two hours that we watched today on men. So my guess is that 
that transcendent thing yeah. was likely even more deeply rooted for yes. people who had sat yeah. through seven and a half hours of Stephen Fry yeah. doing his thing. Yeah, um, I, I agreed with yeah. Ryan. I was a little anxious for a moment when the entire stage went to all, all the stars and the constellations came down and yeah. it looked a, a wee bit like it was going to turn into a mirror ball or something. And I expected uh. to hear Sarah McLaughlin starting to sing <laughs> uh, or Elton John or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I thought, you know, come on, Stephen, please don't, 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 don't go. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but what I liked about when he mentioned the gods living in us, mm-hmm. Ryan, you said he talked about uh, you know Dionysus in us, but mm-hmm. the word that resonated with me was he turned around and he said, those of us who struggle with the Dionysus in us. And in other words, yeah, the gods, those gods, are some of them are sons of bitches, uh, and Mm -hmm. they live in, yeah, sure. So it's not as though we're blessed by having the Greek Olympian gods in us. They just represent all the facets of our personalities, including some really ugly stuff. Yeah, Yeah, but not necessarily in a, well, you can celebrate, but there's some pretty ugly, like those Olympian gods are, they're not... They're they're ancient gods. Mm-hmm. They're not uh, laudatory exemplars of mm-hmm. what of human can. Of, you know, they're not our modern yeah. Judeo Christian right. uh, black hat white hat gods. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the good old ancient yeah. gods. So you're yeah. saying I shouldn't have Zeus as a role model. If you can, dude, go for it. <laughs> Maybe for justice, power, sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. Those things? Master Maybe of the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, and I thought that it, that it humanized. Master of the wayward thunderbolt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then marry a woman called Hera and see how it works out for you. Yeah. I, 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 I felt that it humanized yeah. the ancient Greeks and yeah. their myths and their stories. Yes. And, um, I, I'm forgetting the name of the theoretical framework that this con- this idea comes from, but uh, at the moment, and I'll probably okay. remember it afterwards. But this idea that they were people at, like us and with similar emotions. Anthropomorphization yeah. of the gods. Anthropo- uh, there's not, a better. They no, have an even bigger word in academia. There's right? a different word I'm looking for. <laughs> oh. I bet Ava. If she's Does it have anthro in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. Ava's listening yeah. to this in her kitchen and. Okay. Listeners, if you know the word, write in to mythtake. But it it really makes them relatable. That even though they're thousands of years apart, they're still human. And sometimes in our study of myth and our study of classics in the ancient world, it's really easy to lose sight that these are people that were ultimately studied and people's beliefs and people's stories and people's and people Cultural that wrote product. these yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and and the term that you are looking for is in fact anthropomorphic because we make a sense. <laughs> we make a sense. I'm of not sure it was, but anyway, I'll take your word for it. No, no, look, we agree it is a term. Not only look like men and women, but they act like men and women because yeah. they themselves contain the emotions that we recognize. They're amplified and ex- to a high degree, right, and exaggerated, but that's what makes them so compelling because they are flawed and they are cruel and they can be capricious, but they can also be benevolent. They can also be, they can be gentle. They can be nurturing. They can treat you like a pet, but they can dominate you or they can help you, you know, give kudos to a character like Diomedes that rises in battle, make him his greatest day, or crush you like a bug and leave you to die in the underworld like a Sisyphus or something. Oh, yeah. You know, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. you've got everything available. Right? Yeah. And, 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 but using emotion as a gateway to introduce the Olympian pantheon is excellent because we all understand our experience with emotion. It's the only universal thing that we have as humans. I can't get you inside my head, but I know that you know what, it li- what it's like to love or to cherish or to hate, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And that's all I've got. And if I say this character, who you don't know, who I've given this name that you don't know, yep. hates this, uh, you understand him a little bit. 
Yeah. Right? So I think it's a good thing. And even with undergrads, they have a hard time. When you make a canonical list of Zeus's honors or his T-minus, yeah. they look at you like you were from another planet. Yeah. Right? But if you if you talk to them on, on the level of being raw, human emotions, they can get it. It seems to work. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a pretty valuable tool. So I like the way that ended up and ended off. I didn't think, yeah, I know Ryan will say, he was like, oh God, here it comes, the disco ball, right? This is going to yeah, be the yeah. final moment. We're like, oh. And I was like, no. Well, I know tomorrow you two are going back to see another one. Gods. 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 We're going to go back so, to yeah, the beginning. Yeah, yeah. so and we then, started with three, then we're going one, then we're <laughs> yeah, going two. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ryan is going to see Heroes. He's got the most well. successful podcast. Yes, clearly. Okay, so people, if you want to know what the other plays are like, you need to donate to us there will on be Patreon. More um, we plan on following Stephen Fry around the world on his tour. Yes. Well, I just well, figured no, if I'm going to, I just figured if I'm going to be up here, I might as well see yeah, all three. Of course, if I was so, going to make the drive. <laughs> so we will await your report, and maybe maybe we'll even try to organize something later on Skype and mm-hmm. and catch yeah. up with with what you guys can fill us in on on the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for making the time for doing this. For Jeff for coming down from Ottawa and you coming from Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a blast. I'm really, I'm really glad we did this. I'm really glad that I went and, uh, yeah, and that I was able to great. share this experience with some fellow classics nerds. And, and isn't it amazing that the Shaw Festival was jam-packed full and sold out for people to listen to what this geeky little thing that mm-hmm. we do for pleasure. Yeah. It's, it's, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's quite popular. Yeah, so Very it's popular. Good. It's always encouraging. So now when we have a chance to come see your show, Jeff, you know what we're judging you by. <laughs> sure. And when I start charging $100 a ticket, then you... <laughs> no, I, I have this little fantasy of, you know, Stephen Fry suddenly getting a cold and getting a phone call from Shaw. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. we'll, we will wrap it up there. Yeah. Again, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Check out these fantastic uh, podcasts. We'll have links and everything in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Good night. Goodbye. So long. Have a good day. <laughs> Whoops, sorry, I got it wrong, didn't I? Did you guys, you guys want to end there? Yeah. Okay. I didn't because we didn't talk about a little bit of part of it. I didn't know if you wanted to go back and talk about it and then insert oh. it in. Oh. Like, uh, like we didn't talk about a lot of the, the the first hour. We spent so much on the second hour. I didn't know if you guys wanted to. I'm. I think I'm okay You're with, with it? it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, okay. we can't. You got an hour of re- <laughs> you got an hour of recordable. Yeah. Once it's yeah. edited, and that's usually what what our episodes are that's fine anyway. okay i wasn't and sure if that's if you were fine yeah so Stephen fry boiled it down to two and a half hours and then we try to boil it down yep. to no i'm yep. i'm comfortable with what okay with what we've talked okay. about.